Respondeat superior, Latin, let the master answer, plural, respondeat superioris, is a doctrine that a party is responsible for, has vicarious liability for, acts of their agents. For example, in the United States, there are circumstances when an employer is liable for acts of employees performed within the course of their employment. This rule is also called the master-servant rule, recognized in both common law and civil law jurisdictions. In a broader scope, respondeat superior is based upon the concept of vicarious liability. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In common law, the concept of respondeat superior has its roots in ancient Rome. At the time, the concept applied to slaves, as that was the meaning of what has been translated as servants, and it applied if the slave could not pay himself for the act. It was later expanded to apply to not only slaves but also animals and family members of the master of a family. In 1698, the doctrine was mentioned in dicta by Sir Holt in the English case of Jones v. Hart, 1698. In the U.S., it was discussed in the case of Wright v. Wilcox, 1838, in which a boy climbed on a wagon driven by the defendant's servant, who drove his horses faster, which caused the boy to be thrown and injured. The judge ruled that the master was not responsible under respondeat superior because the servant had acted in a way in driving the horses that the master had not assented to and so it was not within the scope of his employment. U.S. Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr. opined in 1891, it is hard to explain why a master is liable to the extent he is for the negligent acts of one who, at the time, really is his servant, acting within the general scope of his employment. Probably master and servant are feigned to be all one person by a fiction. He was of the view that the doctrine was in opposition to common sense. In 1916, the British attorney Thomas Beatty wrote that the doctrine, which he called a deep-pocket theory, was derived from an inconsiderate use of precedence, and a blind reliance on the slightest word of an eminent judge, and from the mistaken notion that his flights of imagination, were actual decided cases. When applied to physical torts, an employer-employee relationship must be established, no vicarious liability is established for work performed as an independent contractor, and the act must be committed within the scope of employment, substantially within time and geographical limits, job description, and at least with partial intent to further employer's business. Historically, the doctrine was applied in master-servant and employer-employee relationships. When an employee or a servant commits a civil wrong against a third party, the employer or master could be liable for the acts of the servant or employee when the acts are committed within the scope of the relationship. The third party could proceed against the servant and master, that is, the employee and employer. The action against the employee would be based on his conduct. The action against the employer is based on the theory of vicarious liability in which a party can be held liable for the acts of a different party. The employer-employee relationship is the most common area respondeat superior is applied, but the doctrine is also used in the agency relationship. Then, the principal becomes liable for the actions of the agent even if the principal did not commit the act. There are three considerations generally. Was the act committed within the time and space limits of the agency? Was the offense incidental to or of the same general nature as, 
the responsibilities the agent is authorized to perform. And was the agent motivated to any degree to benefit the principal by committing the act? The degree to which they are answered in the affirmative dictates the degree to which the doctrine can be applied. Common law distinguishes between civil and criminal forms of respondeat superior. In U.S. securities law, in U.S. securities law cases in which respondeat superior has been considered in which the company was not a knowing participant in the employee's fraud, the results have been mixed. In O'Brien v. Dean Witter Reynolds, 1984, the court, emphasizing the requirement of knowing participation, stated that an employee's knowledge could not be imputed to the employer. The court in Dockies v. Chapman, 1983, stressed the concept of intentional participation, liability would not attach to a firm that was merely a conduit for the employee's securities violations. In Parnes v. Heinold Commodities, 1983, the court described the use of respondeat superior as bizarre and noted that the firm itself had been victimized by its unscrupulous employee. As to claims under the Securities Exchange Act, the Act's legislative history, under which the House of Representatives version was adopted, indicates that respondeat superior is not applicable because liability is allowed only if there was participation in the employee's fraud. Furthermore, courts such as the Southern District of New York have held that respondeat superior liability is not available under Section 10b of the Securities Exchange Act. Similarly, Thomas Hazen wrote in Treatise on the Law of Securities Regulation, 2005, respondeat superior. Do not apply to sanctions for illegal trading on inside information. As Robert Anello wrote in Forbes in 2014, analysis of the corporate mens rea is, by definition, contrived and one with which federal courts have struggled. In the U.S., there is a three-way circuit split, as the Fifth Circuit and the Eleventh Circuit apply respondeat superior, the Second Circuit and the Seventh Circuit and the Ninth Circuit apply instead a concept of collective knowledge, and the Sixth Circuit rejects the respondeat superior and collective knowledge approaches and applies a third approach because it views that neither the respondeat superior approach nor the collective knowledge approach is ideal or effectuates the purpose of securities fraud laws. In U.S. Government Actions The U.S. Supreme Court held in Ashcroft v. Iqbal, 2009, that senior government officials could not be held liable for the unconstitutional conduct of their subordinates under a theory of respondeat superior. This is an example of the U.S. Supreme Court making an exception to break from the general precedent of respondeat superior. In international law, at issue in the Nuremberg War Crimes Tribunal, after the Allied occupation of Nazi Germany after World War II, was a question concerning principles closely related to respondeat superior, which came to be known by the term command responsibility. The Nuremberg trials established that the defense cannot be used of only following a superior's order if it violates international norms, and especially, superiors who ordered or should have known of such violations but failed to intervene are also criminally liable. Volenti non fit injuria, or injuria, Latin, to a willing person, injury is not done, is a common law doctrine which states that if someone willingly places themselves in a position where harm might result, knowing that some degree of harm might result, they are not able to bring a claim against the other party in tort or delict. Volenti applies only to the risk which a reasonable person would consider them as having assumed by their actions, thus a boxer consents to being hit, and to the injuries that might be expected from being hit, but does not consent to, for example, his opponent striking him with an iron bar, or punching him outside the usual terms of boxing. Volenti is also known as a voluntary assumption of risk. Volenti is sometimes described as the plaintiff consenting to run a risk. In this context, 
Volenti can be distinguished from legal consent in that the latter can prevent some torts arising in the first place. For example, consent to a medical procedure prevents the procedure from being a trespass to the person, or consenting to a person visiting one's land prevents them from being a trespasser. History Volenti non fit injuria is an often quoted form of the legal maxim formulated by the Roman jurist Ulpian, which reads in original, nulla injuria est, k in volentum fiat. English law. In English tort law, volenti is a full defense, for example, it fully exonerates the defendant who succeeds in proving it. The defense has two main elements. The claimant was fully aware of all the risks involved, including both the nature and the extent of the risk, and the claimant expressly, by statement, or implicitly, by actions, consented to waive all claims for damages. Knowledge of the risk is not sufficient, science non est volens, knowing is not volunteering. Consent must be free and voluntary, for example not brought about by duress. If the relationship between the claimant and defendant is such that there is doubt as to whether the consent was truly voluntary, such as the relationship between workers and employers, the courts are unlikely to find volenti. It is not easy for a defendant to show both elements and therefore comparative negligence usually constitutes a better defense in many cases. Note however that comparative negligence is a partial defense, for example it usually leads to a reduction of payable damages rather than a full exclusion of liability. Also, the person consenting to an act may not always be negligent, a bungee jumper may take the greatest possible care not to be injured, and if he is, the defense available to the organizer of the event will be volenti, not comparative negligence. Consent to medical treatment or consent to risky sports on the part of the claimant excludes liability in tort where that consent is informed consent. Other jurisdictions. The Scots Law of Delict similarly recognizes the principle and defense of volenti non-fit injuria. U.S. tort law has a similar legal principle known as assumption of risk. In Canada, the Valencio principle applies in much the same way as under English law. The leading Canadian cases on point are Dubé v. Labar and Hall v. Hebert.